0: Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles here this morning and let's stand together. And we're going to turn to Psalm chapter number 19 here this morning. Psalms chapter number 19. And I'd like to bring to you a message entitled A Passion for God's Word. A Passion for God's Word. As we look at Psalm 19, we're going to look at verse number seven uh, down to verse number 11, the five verses that we find here within this chapter. And uh, we'll read the verses, we'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll dive right into the message here this morning A Passion for God's Word. As we look at Psalm 19, verse 7, down to verse number 11 here this morning. A familiar passage as we think about uh, the aspects concerning God's word here this morning. The Bible reads in verse number 7 it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. If you have your Bibles open here this morning, look at verse number 10 with me if you would, and let's read that together if we can in unison. Ready, begin. Begin. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. honeycomb. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for your goodness and your grace and the blessings that you bestow upon our lives. And Father, we thank you for the word of God. And Lord, where would we be without the scriptures here this morning? And Father, I pray that throughout this time as we study Psalms chapter number 19, Father, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. And, Lord, I pray in these next few moments that you would rekindle and revive within our hearts once again a passion for the Scriptures, a passion for the Bible, the Word of God. And we pray, Lord, that you would do a work that only you can. Lord, take away the distractions that we might have externally, distractions that we might have internally within our minds. And I pray, Lord, for these next few moments, help us to focus upon these truths. And I pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you would speak to our hearts and that you would do a work that only you can do. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for this morning. We pray now that you would be magnified and that you'd be glorified throughout this time. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, as we think about this subject and this title here this morning, A Passion for God's Word, the fact of the matter is here today that there are many different people in this life that are very passionate about many different things. There might be some people here this morning that are passionate about their careers and their job. There might be people here this morning that are passionate maybe about a car or maybe their hobbies. There are people here this morning that would be passionate about politics or maybe sports, and then there are some people here this morning that are passionate about their pets. There are some people that are passionate about cats. I wonder here this morning how many of you are passionate about cats. There might be a few of you here uh, this morning that are passionate about cats. And I think about a person by the name of Linnea Latanzio. She's a cat lover. She lives in Parlier, California. And she lives on a six-acre property lot. And she has a beautiful 4,200-square-foot home. But the only thing is she doesn't live in that home. She has a 4,200 square feet home, but instead she lives in a mobile home that is also located on that property, which is only 1,200 square feet. And the reason why she does that is because in that home of 4,200 square feet, she lets her cats roam free throughout that home as she lives in the mobile home. She has approximately 800 adult cats, 300 kittens, And for 25 years, she has been housing cats. And over those 25 years, she has housed approximately, get this, 28,000 cats that she has housed within her property. I mean, here's a lady that is passionate about cats. And as we think about uh, many of us here this morning, we might be passionate about sports. We might be passionate about our work. And nothing wrong necessarily to be passionate about certain things within our lives. But I pray here this morning that our greatest passions in life would be about the things of the Lord. I pray this morning that we would have a great passion to win souls, that we would have a great passion to go into this community and share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray here this morning that we'd have a great passion when it comes to our prayer life. Uh, when it comes to our fellowship and our communion that we have with our Savior. And then as we think about the title and the specific message here this morning, I pray that we would have a great passion and a zeal when it comes to truth and when it comes to the Word of God and the Bible that we hold in our hands here this morning. Unfortunately, in America, it is a discouraging reality that more and more church-going Christians are less and less passionate when it comes to the Word of God. I think about a LifeWay research that was done in recent years, and they simply surveyed church-going Christians, and they asked the question, how often do you read the Bible throughout the week? These were the results that they received. 32% said that they read it every day, 27% a few times a week, 12% once a week, 11% a few times a month, 5% once a month, and then 12% rarely or never. That means, according to that survey, about 40% of professing believers that attend church regularly on a weekly or a monthly basis read their Bibles once a week or less than that. And I pray that the statistics here within our college would be a lot higher than that, but I wonder here this morning, if we all took that survey, what would the results be? I wonder here this morning, did we spend time in the Word of God, I realize that's a very simple question. I realize those are baby steps when it comes to the Christian life, but, but did you spend time in the Word of God? And then I ask you another question, did you spend unhurried time in the Word of God? Uh, did you spend a season to fellowship and to commune with the Lord this morning as you read the Word of God? And the fact of the matter is here this morning, without a passion for God's Word and without a regular engagement with the Word of God, we will be stunted in our growth as a Christian Uh, We will fall short when it comes to the victories that God desires for us to experience, and we will fail to mature and become fruitful and healthy Christians that God so desires for us to be here this morning. You see, the Bible teaches us just as we would need physical food for our physical bodies to thrive and to live a healthy life, likewise, the Scriptures teach us that we need the spiritual food, the Word of God, for our soul to thrive, to be fruitful, And to be healthy in the Lord. In Matthew 4 4, the Bible teaches, but he answered and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So I ask you here this morning, what are you passionate about? Uh, What what causes you to wake up early in the morning? What causes you to stay up late at night? What what do you get excited about? What, What do you delight in? within your life, are you passionate about the Scriptures, the Word of God that we hold in our hands? As we study Psalm 19 this morning, I want to share with you several principles concerning the Word of God that I hope will rekindle and revive our passion for the Scriptures. First of all, notice with me as we look at verse number 7, I find here the attributes of God's Word. Notice the attributes of God's Word And in verse number seven, it begins with the first attribute. And I find there that the word of God is perfect. Uh, It is perfect. The Bible reads there, the law of the Lord is perfect. Uh, That word perfect there means entire. It means complete. And so the word perfect is not in this sense, in this context, speaking about being flawless, although that is definitely true concerning the scriptures here this morning, we would understand that, but in the context, what this word is speaking about here is that the word of God is complete. Uh, The word of God is comprehensive, it lacks nothing, and therefore the word of God is sufficient for us within this life. It is all that a person needs to live successfully in this life, to experience genuine joy and genuine satisfaction according to the Scriptures. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible teaches all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Uh, The Bible teaches us that it's profitable for doctrine, what is right, and then reproof, what is wrong, and then correction, how to get it right, instruction, how to keep it right. And so the Bible teaches us that within the pages of the Word of God, we have everything that we need. We have all the resources that we need to live a life that is satisfied, to live a life that is successful, to live a life that experiences genuine joy and fruitfulness within this life. The Bible is sufficient. I think about what one person wrote, this book is the mind of God. The state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character. Christ is its grand subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet, Read it slowly, frequently, prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. And therefore, we find in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 16, and then in verse number 17, it teaches that it's profitable that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, unto all good works. And so we find here that the Word of God is perfect. It is sufficient. It is complete. It is enough to answer every single problem that we have within this life. It is enough to guide and direct every person to live a life that is abundant and to live a life that is victorious for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so first of all, as we think about the attributes of God's Word, it is perfect. It is complete. It is entire It is sufficient for our lives. But then secondly, I want you to notice with me, uh, not only is it perfect, but we also find here in the latter portion of verse number seven, it is proven. Uh, The word of God is proven. And the Bible teaches us in that same verse, the testimony of the Lord is sure. As we think about that word sure, it means to be firm or faithful. It means to trust or believe. This means that the Bible is trustworthy. Uh, this means that the Bible is reliable. And as we think about the attributes of the Word of God, the Bible is reliable, I think about, first of all, because there is unity, there is agreement when it comes to the Scriptures. In 1 Peter chapter number 1, verse number 20, the Bible reads there, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And the Bible is very clear that the scriptures that we hold in our hands was not necessarily a work of man, although God used human instrumentality, but we find according to the scriptures that the Bible that we have today was a supernatural, miraculous work of God to inspire these words and to use men to write down the 66 books that we hold in our hands here this morning. And as we think about these books, they were written by 40 plus different men. Uh, written by farmers and and kings and businessmen and fishermen. But as we study the Scriptures here that was written over a period of 1,500 years on three different continents in three different languages, yet there is harmony, uh, there is unity, there's agreement in the Scriptures pointing to the fact that God is the author of the Bible we hold in our hands. And so we find here it is proven because there's agreement in the Scriptures, but also it's proven because there's accuracy in the Scriptures. I think about the fact that there's accuracy when it comes to its history. I think about one example here this morning, the civilization of the Hittites that are mentioned several times throughout the Bible and for some time skeptics accused that it was fabricated for many years. They could not find physical evidence concerning the civilization of the Hittites. But then the 19th century and the 20th uh, 20th century comes around and and now we find archaeologists and artifacts that are being discovered concerning the Hittite civilization that the capital was located in northern Turkey and then also in Egypt they find a treaty that is written uh, between the Egyptians and also the Hittites. It is accurate when it comes to its history. It's accurate when it comes to its science. In Isaiah 40, verse 22, the Bible teaches that the earth is round, And the Bible declared that before any scientist discovered that the earth was round, the Bible is clear. In Job 26, 7, the earth hangs on nothing. In Genesis 15, 5, there's an innumerable number of stars. And prior to the discovery or the invention of the telescope, there were many that calculated, many that predicted how many stars would be out there in the universe. I think about Hippocrates. He said that there's approximately 1,022 stars. Uh, Ptolemy uh, calculated 1,056. Kepler calculated 1,055. But the Bible teaches in Jeremiah 33, 22, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered, neither the sand of the sea measured. The Bible declared uh, before any scientist, before any telescope was invented, that the stars are innumerable that we have within our universe. It is accurate in science Psalm 88 8 teaches the water currents in the seas uh, Leviticus 17:11 teaches about the life that is in the blood it is accurate in its history uh, it is accurate in its science it's accurate in its prophecy scholars have said that there are approximately 2500 prophecies recorded in the bible approximately 2000 of them have already been accurately fulfilled Uh, As we think about the first advent of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in his incarnation, his first coming, he fulfilled approximately 300 prophecies thousands and hundreds of years before he walked on this earth, it was prophesied, it was predicted in the Bible in Genesis chapter number 12 that Jesus would come through the seed of Abraham. In Genesis 49, it prophesied and predicted that Jesus would come through the tribe of Judah. In 2 Samuel chapter number 7, it teaches that he would be of the lineage of David in Micah 5, verse number 2, that Jesus would specifically be born in a city called Bethlehem in Isaiah chapter 7 verse number 14 that he'd be born of a virgin conceived by the Holy Spirit of God and it is the fulfillment of prophecy that truly sets the Bible apart from other religious books and they say that there are over 25 other religious books that people of faith believe to be Inspired, but as we think about some of the prophecies that they might make, it's so vague that you can probably apply it to any real event in history, but when it comes to the Bible, it is specific. It is detailed that has been fulfilled exactly the way it was written according to the Scriptures. And so as we think about the Bible here this morning and its attributes, it is perfect. Uh, It is proven. There's agreement in the Scriptures. There's accuracy in the Scriptures. Also, I find here in verse 8 and 9, it is pure. Uh, we find that the Bible is pure. It says in verse number eight the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous all together. Uh, the statutes and commandments speak about the teachings of the Word of God concerning our manner of life, uh, concerning our behavior. And the declaration that we find here in these two verses is teaching us that the manner of living that is found within the Word of God is pure, it is right, and it is morally correct. And therefore, as we think about the teachings of the Bible here this morning concerning marriage between a man and a woman that is pure and that is right and that is morally correct. As we think about the teachings of the Bible, when it speaks about only two genders, male and female, that is pure, that is correct, and that is morally right. As we think about the teachings of the Bible, when it speaks about the sanctity of life, that life begins at the moment of conception, that is pure, it is right, and it is morally correct. As we think about the teachings of salvation, that it's by faith alone and Jesus Christ alone, the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, that not all roads lead to heaven, but there's only one way, and that is through our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, by faith, that is pure and that is right and that is morally correct, according to the Bible. In Psalm 119, 140, the Bible says, thy word is very pure, therefore thy servant Loveth it. And so this morning, first of all, as we think about the scriptures, we find the attributes of God's word. It is perfect, it is proven, it is pure. But then I want you to notice with me as we continue in this passage not only do we find the attributes of God's word, but then, secondly, notice with me the abilities. The abilities of God's word. And first of all, we find here, starting in verse number 7 once again, we find that it changes. Not that the Word of God changes, but it has the power to change lives. It has the power to convert. And specifically here in this verse, it has the power to convert the soul. The Bible says in verse 7, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Uh, That word converting there means to turn back again. It means to deliver. And primarily, first of all, it's speaking about the salvation of a soul, that the truth found in the Word of God has power to save and transform a soul. There is power in the gospel, in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's dunamis, dynamite power to change a soul from hell to become a child of God. The Bible teaches in 1 Peter 1, verse 23... Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. In James one twenty-one, the Bible teaches, wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. And so it has the ability to change, to convert a soul from being lost to being saved, but also as we think about that word converting here, it has another meaning, and another meaning concerning that word converting is about strengthening the soul. And it not only does it speak about deliverance, but it also speaks about refreshing and renewing and reviving the soul. And in Psalm 119, verse number 28, the Bible says, my soul melteth for heaviness strengthen thou me according unto thy word and some of us here this morning might be able to relate with the psalmist here in psalm 119 my soul melteth for heaviness and there might be some in this room where your soul is melting for heaviness because of maybe the pressures of finances uh, you might be your soul might be melting for heaviness because of maybe a loved one that is sick here this morning. It might be melting for heaviness, maybe because of a prayer request that still hasn't been answered or fulfilled, and you might have a soul of heaviness and patience here this morning. Let me encourage you, strength and alleviation of that burden and that pressure is not going to come from the world. It's not going to come from some activity. It's not going to come from maybe some other book that you would find, but the Bible teaches us the strength that we need for the soul to be alleviated comes from no other source than the Bible, the Word of God that we have here this morning. There is strength in the Word of God. In Psalm 119, 93, the Bible says, I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. Uh, The Word of God has made me alive. The Word of God has encouraged me. The Word of God has strengthened me, has nourished me to remain faithful in the things of the Lord. Robert Moffat, many years ago, a missionary to Africa, said these words. This, the Word of God, is the fountain where I drink, and this is the oil that makes my lamp burn. So we find here the abilities of the word of God, it changes the soul. It converts a soul in salvation, in strength, but also it converts the simple. Notice what it says there in the latter portion of verse number seven. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The simple person speaks about one who lacks understanding, one who is undiscerning. Uh, The person who is wise is one who is skilled in all areas of living, skilled in the practical aspects of living a godly life. And the Bible is teaching us here this morning that God's Word has the ability, it has the power to take somebody who is simple, uh, somebody who is undiscerning, and convert them into somebody who is wise. Uh, As we think about wisdom, it's not simply an accumulation of knowledge, Uh, it's not simply a gathering of information, but one who is able to spiritually discern that which is good and better and best, one who is able to discern the information and the knowledge that they have received, that they might apply it for the highest goals for God's glory and for His honor. And the Bible teaches us here that the Word of God can make us wise. And I don't know about you here this morning, but I need wisdom every single day of my life. Uh, I need wisdom to be the right husband to my wife. I need wisdom to be the right father to my children. I need wisdom to be a proper instructor in the classroom. I need wisdom to serve in the ministry of Lancaster Baptist Church and West Coast Baptist College. And we all need wisdom here this morning. And wisdom doesn't primarily come from people, and it doesn't primarily come from books, and it doesn't primarily come from experience, but wisdom primarily comes from the Word of God. It comes from the Lord, it comes from the scriptures and the Bible that we hold here this morning. Amen. The Bible teaches us in Proverbs 2:6, for the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. You might need wisdom for your classes. You might need wisdom for your finances. You might need wisdom concerning your future decisions as seniors going off into ministry. You might need wisdom for your relationships. Let me encourage you to spend much time in the word of God, for this is where we receive wisdom. In Psalm 119, verse 98, Thou, through thy commandments, hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. We find here it has the ability to change, to convert the soul, salvation to strengthen, to convert the simple unto the wise, But then I want you to notice also it has the power to cheer. It cheers the heart. And in Psalm 19, verse number 8, the Bible says, The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. A 17th century preacher said this, Other books may bring delight and pleasure, but only one book brings true joy. In Jeremiah 15, verse number 16, the Bible reads there, Thy words were found And I did eat them, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. You know, Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. Uh, As we think about the character of Jeremiah, he was somewhat melancholic when it comes to his personality. He had a difficult ministry, he wasn't very successful, at least in the eyes of the world. Nevertheless, we find here that Jeremiah found great joy, and he didn't find great joy in his circumstances. Uh, he didn't find great joy in some favorable position but he teaches us here that jeremiah found great joy in the bible within the scriptures in psalm 119 verse 111 the bible says thy testimonies have i taken as an heritage forever for they are the rejoicing of my heart and so the word of god has the ability to change to cheer the heart but then also one more i find here in verse number nine It has the power to cleanse. It cleanses. In verse number 9, the Bible reads, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. You know, it is through God's word that we are convicted of our sins. Uh, It is through God's word that we can find victory over our sinful habits and the addictions that we might fight within this life. In Psalm 119, verse number 9, the Bible says, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. And you see here, the Bible teaches us that it's through the power of the scriptures that we can walk away and turn away from the sinful desires and the temptations that we have in this life, that we might live a victorious life of purity and holiness before God our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I remember the first Bible that I received from my dad and I was probably about five years old and I still have it uh, in my, on my bookshelf there. And uh, every so often I'd open it up and on the, on the first the fly leaf of the Bible, I have my top five best friends. And uh, I have them written, I remember the number one, his name was Caleb Stevens, I forget the rest four, but, but I had it listed out there, my, my top five best friends Uh, And then as I flipped over one more page, there was a quote that my father wrote within that book. And I always remember that quote. It's not original to himself, but but he wrote these words within uh, the Bible. He said, this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. And somebody who is living a lifestyle of sin or somebody who is beginning to backslide within their life, I guarantee it, is somebody who is neglecting their time in the Word of God. Uh, they're not applying the spiritual soap within their life. They, they might know something about the Bible. They might hear some things about the Bible within their classes, but they're not personally taking the spiritual soap and applying it daily in their life to purify their heart and to live a life of holiness. Uh, I think about my youngest child, Luke, and uh, he's somebody who tries to be tricky and tries to cut corners at times. And, and uh, I remember when he was maybe about five years old and he started kind of taking showers on his own, uh, he would jump into the shower. We would hear the water begin to run and then literally in about 30 seconds it would stop. And then he'd jump out of the shower and uh, almost every time my wife would yell from the other side of the house and she would say, Luke, did you use the soap? And then within about five to ten seconds the water would turn on again <laughs> and then after about two minutes he would walk out he'd say I used the soap you know Luke we, we call him Lukey he could have walked out of there he could have said you know I took my shower you know and he could have said, hey I know where the soap is I know the details about the soap and I've seen other people use soap and he could give us all the facts about the soap but the simple principle here this morning is until he applies that soap he'll never be clean And likewise for us here this morning, unless if we're personally applying and spending much time in the Word of God, we'll never have a clean life. Uh, We'll never have a clean heart as we live and serve our Savior. In Psalm 119, verse 11, it says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. I think about the prayer of our Savior in John 17, 17, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so this morning, as we think about Psalm 19, we find here the attributes of God's word, right? It is perfect, it is proven, it is pure. Uh, we think about next the abilities of God's word. It changes, it has the power to convert, it, it cheers the heart, it cleanses the heart. And then finally and lastly, here as we close, I want you to notice with me here this morning, we find the assessment then of God's word. The attributes, the abilities, and now then the assessment. And notice what the Bible says in verse number 10. It says, the word of God, the Bible, is more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. And David writes here, because of the attributes of God's word, Uh, Because of the abilities and the power of God's word, we must then have a high assessment of God's word. Uh, We must recognize that it is precious. We must realize that it is priceless. It is invaluable as we think about the testimonies and the statutes and the precepts of God's word. It is said that at the coronation of England's Queen Elizabeth II, the Archbishop of Canterbury presented her with a Bible and said these words, our gracious queen, to keep your majesty ever mindful of the law and the gospel of God as the rule for the whole life and government of Christian princes, we present you with this book, the most valuable thing that this world affords. And could I say here this morning, the most valuable possession that we have this morning is that book that you hold in your hands. Uh, The scriptures, the copy of God's word Uh, the truth that leads us to salvation, the truth that leads us to live a victorious life, the truth that leads us to live a holy life, a life of satisfaction and fruitfulness before our God. In Job 23, verse 12, he writes, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. I wonder here this morning how many of us arose from bed and and immediately there was a craving. Immediately there was a grumbling in the stomach and you put on your clothes and you quickly made your way to the dining hall and you you had some breakfast. You have a craving and a desire. That craving and desire begins again probably in about another two hours and, and then again probably in about another six hours. There's a constant craving for the physical food that we need in our life. But I wonder here this morning, do we have that craving for the word of God? Uh, Do we have that desire to meditate day and night in the scriptures as the Bible teaches us in Joshua 1 and Psalms chapter number 1? Do we have that passion and that zeal that we need the word of God desperately within our lives? In 1 Peter 2, 2, Peter says it this way, as newborn babes, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that he may grow thereby. Desire, it means to yearn after To intensely crave. Maybe you have a younger sibling. Maybe you've seen your parents raise your younger sibling when he or she was just a baby. And when that baby craves after that milk, it doesn't matter where they are. It doesn't matter if it's a fancy restaurant. It doesn't matter if they're in a church service. It doesn't matter if it's 3 o'clock in the morning. That baby's going to cry and desire and yearn after that milk until finally that craving is fulfilled. And here Peter is commanding us. This is an imperative as we think about the word desire. He says, just as newborn babes desire physical milk of their mother, you must desire the sincere milk of the word. One commentator writes about this desire, its meaning encompasses such things as the strong desire a husband or wife has for a spouse, the strong physical craving that accompanies extreme hunger, the poignant longings one has for a deceased loved one, the intense desire a Christian parent has for a spiritual wayward child to repent and return to obedience, and the strong desires believers have for the salvation of an unbelieving family member or a close friend. I think about my mother who passed away with cancer back in 2014. And there are some times in my life when I have a desire to see my mother. There are moments in my life where there's a craving within my heart. I wish I can converse with my mother. Uh, I wish I can tell her about this burden. I wish I can receive counsel one more time from my mother. There's a desire and a craving. And as we think about that intensity, that's what the word desire means here in 1 Peter chapter number 2. Do you have that intensity, that passion, that craving, that zeal for the sincere milk of the word? I wonder here this morning, what do you desire? What what do you crave in this life? Do you crave money? Do you crave a position? Do you crave after a possession? Do you crave after some popularity? Do you crave after recognition? Do you crave after leisure or comfort? What do you crave after here this morning? What are you passionate about here this morning? Could I implore you and beseech you this morning that you'd be passionate about the word of God, that you'd be passionate about the scriptures, God's word that we hold within our hands. You know, Robert Sumner wrote a book many years ago entitled The Wonders of the Word of God. And in that book, he gives a testimony about a man who lived in Kansas City who was severely injured in an explosion. And because of the severity of that explosion, that victim's eyesight was completely lost as well as both of his hands. That victim who was suffering from those pains and that tragedy was Disheartened and discouraged within his heart because he was a newly born again Christian and he thought to himself, without my hands and without my eyesight, I cannot read the word of God. And he had a great passion to read the scriptures and to study the word of God, but he couldn't because he didn't have eyesight, he didn't have his hands to use a braille Bible. But then he heard about a lady in England who was using a braille Bible and she would put it against her lips and with her lips she would read the scriptures, and the verses. And so immediately he thought to himself, I can do that as well. And so he went out there and he purchased a Braille Bible and and as soon as he received it, he placed it against his lips. But as he did to his disappointment, the nerve endings on his lips were completely destroyed as well. And so disappointed, he kept thinking about different ways and methods on how he might be able to read the Bible. And, And one day out of his desperation, once again, he placed that Braille Bible against his lips. And at that time, he stuck out his tongue, and with his tongue, he was able to sense the bumps on the Braille Bible. And immediately, a flash of thought came to his mind, and joy filled his heart, and he said, I can read the Bible with my tongue. At the publication of this book by Robert Sumner, this individual that had this passion to read the Word of God, he had read the Word of God from cover to cover, Four times with his tongue. With his tongue. He had a passion and a desire to read the Word of God. I wonder here this morning for those of us that have our eyesight, we have hands, we have the Word of God, we have dozens of copies on our bookshelf. I wonder do we have a passion for this book? Do we have a desire for this book? Are we reading the Word of God? Are we studying? Are we memorizing? Are we spending unhurried time, seasons in the Scriptures that we might grow in the Word of God, that we might develop a life that is victorious for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? How is your passion for the Word of God here this morning? I encourage you, if your passion has waned, if your desire has waned, this morning let us rekindle and revive and renew our desire for the Word of God. Its attributes, its abilities, then its assessment. It is precious, it is priceless, it is invaluable.